In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. My dear faithful, if I walked up to you and introduced myself and, and said, you know, one thing about myself that I want you to know is that I really excel in the virtue of humility. Um, you would have one of two reactions. Um, probably the reaction you would have would, would be one of laughter. You would think that I was, uh, what I was saying is absolutely ridiculous because the very act of bragging <clears throat> that you are extremely humble is an act of pride. It's the contrary of humility. Therefore, it would evoke uh, laughter in you. But if, if you thought I was actually serious uh, about what I was saying, if I actually thought that I was a super model of humility, you would probably be angry. Your, your reaction would be one of anger. You would be upset by the fact that I was so full of myself that I could not even realize that I was prideful. I was so full of pride. You would be disgusted by me demanding praise for something which, in fact, I should be reproached. I would be demanding praise for my own pride. And that would upset you. These are the two reactions that our pride produces in other people. We either laugh at people and their pride because we think that they are silly, or we're angry at them because of their folly, their blindness to their own wickedness. And one of the great paradoxes of our human condition, of the of our state as human beings is, is that we typically hate pride when we see it in others, and yet we're always fostering the pride that is within ourselves. We somehow love our own pride and we hate other people's pride. We're revolted when we see pride, yet we are at peace with the pride that is within us. And this situation really should alarm us because pride is the one thing that will make us lose our soul. It is the most damnable offense possible. By it, we refuse to submit to the lowliness of our human condition. We make ourselves into something we are not, and we will not submit to reality, the facts about who we are. And if anyone in this room, which God forbid, if anyone of us is going to be damned, including myself, it's going to be because of our pride. If you think about it, if someone is damned for impurity, for instance, it's because they will not submit their passions to the law of God. If someone is damned for stubbornness or anger, it's because they will not submit to the crosses and difficulties of this life. If someone is damned for really anything, it's because of their refusal to submit to the way, the order that God has established. It's a rebellion against God. They want to place themselves in the position of God and call the shots. Those who are humble when they die are exalted to the heights of heaven, whereas those who are prideful in this life, when they die, are lowered into the depths of hell. This is the sort of uh, primary rule, the golden rule for the economy of salvation. The prideful go to hell and the humble go to heaven. The reason that um, 
Lucifer and the rest of the angels fell was because of pride. They did not want to have anybody above them to whom they would have to submit. And the reason why Adam and Eve fell was because of pride. The devil talked them into entertaining this idea that they would know good and evil and be like God. And they would not have any duty, therefore, to submit to him. So this is the situation of our entire existence, the big challenge of our life, whether we're going to, to mortify our pride and be humble, or well, whether we will let our natural tendency to make ourselves something bigger than we are um, play itself out. When our Lord came on this earth, as you know, he did it for one reason. The primary reason, the main reason he came was to save our souls. Okay, so how do you go about saving human beings? You do that by fixing the main problem that causes their damnation. And that main problem is our pride. Therefore, our Lord really, if we boil it down, what he came to do was to fix our pride, to provide us a solution for our pride. How did he do that? He did that in two ways. By practicing humility and by teaching humility. Those two things. Our Lord lived humility and he taught humility. It's very striking when you look at his life, in the whole of his life, you see that he practiced humility to an extreme degree. He knew that after his death, we would all refer back to the Gospels and we would look carefully at his life and we would follow his example. His good followers would look at what he did and try to imitate him. And so he lived his life accordingly, setting us an example as to how we should live. And he lived an extremely humble life. He chose for himself a lowly mother and a lowly foster father to associate himself with. He was born in a stable of animals instead of a palace of kings. His childhood was spent in utter obscurity doing the work of a tradesman, being a carpenter. And when he came of age and he started preaching and working miracles, he would always flee from the crowds whenever they wanted to show him particular honor, for instance, making him king. When he cured somebody in an extraordinary way, he would tell the person whom he cured, don't tell anybody else, don't noise this about. His favorite thing to do after he was done preaching, because he had this duty to preach, he came on this earth to, to teach us, um, but after he preached, he ran away from the crowds. He loved to run away from the crowds to go up in the, into the mountain to pray alone. And when he came to the end of his life, he humbled himself unto the death of the cross, the most humiliating death possible because it was the death of a criminal. This is why our Lord can truly say, and he's the only one who can say this, the rest of us said it, you know, it, it would be rather ridiculous. He can say to us, learn of me because I am meek and humble of heart. He wants you to save your soul, and that's the only way you can do it, by being humble. So our Lord practiced humility, a very, very deep and explicit humility all throughout his life. 
He also taught humility. He made it um, a frequent subject of his teaching. Today, as you know, he tells us the story of the proud Pharisee who is ridiculous in his pride. There's almost something humorous about this parable because of the Pharisee, the way he's standing up there, and he's, he's basically saying he's better than everybody else. I thank you, God, that, that, you know, I'm not like anyone, really. I mean, I'm really just like better than everybody. I mean, take just example. We can take any example, really, but I'll just take the example of this publican here. I'm like way better than him. I'm like super holy. Um, he's not saying the words of the, of the Gloria that we say at Mass, I, uh, where we say we give you thanks for your great glory. He's saying to God, I give you thanks for my great glory. Um, it's rather ridiculous. And I mean, we're, we're just totally disgusted at this Pharisee. And we have a great sympathy for this lowly, humble publican there, bowing himself down and saying, dear God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Our Lord also frequently spoke out against the real Pharisees, the actual Pharisees who were standing in front of him because they were so full of pride. Our Lord knew that if the um, people imitated the practice of religion as displayed by the Pharisees, they would not save their souls. They were going to be damned. And he told them this explicitly. He says, unless your justice abound more than the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. If this is the way you're going to practice religion, you're going to go to hell. So he did not want the people to imitate the Pharisees. The Pharisees embodied pride. And they embodied that primary characteristic of the prideful man, which is hypocrisy. Prideful people always appear to be something on the outside. They're making themselves much bigger than they actually are. But if you look at the reality, they are much, they are um, a really smaller person than they're making themselves out to be. The Pharisees did everything in their religious practices out of selfishness in order to receive human glory. They wanted to solicit praise from others for being apparently holy and pleasing to God. They were very ostentatious in their fasting. They demanded that people address them with very respectful titles. And they lorded it over their faithful, uh, demanding impossible things of them, saying, if you don't do this, you know, you're not pleasing to God. And then they would rebuke the people for doing those for not doing those impossible things. They would set the bar so high, it's absolutely unattainable. And then they would come over them and say, hey, you're, you're, you're bad because you're not doing these things. Our Lord, as I say, used the Pharisees as an example of what not to do, an image of the worst behavior possible. He says, all the works they do to be seen by men. They love the first places at feasts and the first chairs in the synagogues. They love salutations in the marketplace and to be called by men, rabbi. But do you not be called rabbi? For one is your master and all you are brethren. Neither be you called masters. For one is your master, Christ. He that is the greatest among you shall be your servant, and whosoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. Our Lord says that multiple times in the Gospels. Um, today I read it from, from the passage of, from Luke. This is, this is from the Gospel of Matthew. Multiple times. It seems to be a common saying of our Lord. 
He that humbles himself shall be exalted. He that exalts himself shall be humbled. Our Lord teaches this all throughout his public life. And when he comes to the end of his public life at the Last Supper, when he wants to give his final instructions to his apostles, what is he going to teach them? Once again, he's going to bring up this subject of humility and the need they have to practice humility. And he reinforces by himself performing this very humble act of putting an apron on, stooping himself down, and washing the feet of the apostles. When he's done, he says to them, You call me Master and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If then I, being your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that as I have done to you, so do you also. Amen, amen, I say to you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is the apostle greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, you shall be blessed if you do them. So my dear faithful, this is the thing. We will be damned for our pride or we will be saved by our humility, one or the other. Our Lord, knowing that when he came on this earth, he practiced humility to an extreme degree and he made it a point to go out of his way to teach humility on many different occasions. And so it's so important for us to love this virtue and to try to practice this virtue. The Catholic Encyclopedia says, humility is a quality by which a person, considering his own defects, has a lowly opinion of himself and willingly submits himself to God and to others for God's sake. By humility, when we practice humility, we have a correct and reasonable submission to the order that God has established. See, Thomas Aquinas says that humility is a suppression of presumptuous hope, where we don't count too much on ourselves. We're not extending sort of the circle of our proper activity beyond its proper bounds, trying to be more than we actually are, trying to do more than we actually are but we're keeping in our proper position. And this virtue is based on divine reverence. We have a reverence for God in his position. Just like if, if you're at work you know, and you start doing things um, that your employer is supposed to do, or you're giving orders that your employer is supposed to give, he's going to be upset. It's the same thing with respect to God. If we try to usurp the position of God in his government of divine providence or his arrangement of, of our human condition, we're being prideful, and it's a lack of respect for God. So humility firstly denotes our subjection to God, and then secondly, our subjection to others for God's sake. St. Thomas, he explains, I mean, he, he asks whether humility means we have to subject ourselves to everybody. Do we have to submit ourselves to everyone? Does a humble person submit themselves to everyone? He says, no, no, of course not. Um, we submit ourselves to others in what is of God in them. And that's why the martyrs, we praise the martyrs so much for not submitting to people who wanted them to go against God. So we don't submit to others when they want us to go against God. So the main thing for the, the virtue of humility is our interior, that we have the faculties of our soul, our intellect, our will, and our passions 
um, in this humble attitude of submission to God. So Bishop Ullathorne, um, an English bishop of the 19th century, he says, humility is in the mind when the will subjects the understanding to the divine truth, which God presents to the mind and to the divine author of that truth. It is in the will when the will is subject to the will of God. It is in the affections when those affections are subject to God in charity. So we want to submit our mind to the truths that God reveals. We want to submit our will to what God ordains. And we must want to submit our emotions, our passions to the order that God has established. Now, we all know that we have a, a self-love to a greater or lesser degree, that, that pride is our own pride is one of the most trickiest things for us to discover within ourselves. We don't know ourselves very well, especially in the area of our pride. And this should keep us in a certain fear for ourselves and for our actions. And we have to ask ourselves, what is the real source of my sins, the sins that I confess? What really causes me to commit my sins? And we have to pray for enlightenment, that we might know our pride and be delivered from that pride. Pride is like bad breath. You know? um, you're the only one who can't smell your bad breath. Everybody else can smell it, but, but you can't smell it. So if we have knowledge of our pride, that's the very best self-knowledge. And we have to seek for that knowledge. We have to really um, examine ourselves on that question of pride. Um, and then when we go to confession, we, we have to try to confess our pride as far as possible. This is what Father de Bergamo recommends in his book, Humility of Heart. He, he says, when we confess our sins in, in the confessional, we should also confess the reason why we committed the sin. And if possible, link it back to our pride. The reason why I did this sin was because I'm prideful. Um, I, he, he says, I accuse myself of having been angry and annoyed with those around me, and the sole reason of my anger and annoyance was my pride. I accuse myself of having envied and even of having taken what belonged to others, only to satisfy my pride and vanity. I have also spoken with contempt of my neighbor, and this, again, because of my pride that can bear no one to be thought superior to myself." So this, this act, this exercise of connecting whatever we confess to pride helps us see where our, the ultimate source of our sins are and hopefully address the very root of our sins and therefore become holier. We, when we identify that pride, when we have that very great grace of knowing to some degree the pride that is within us, it's important that we have that firm purpose of amendment where we put our knowledge to use by resolving to get rid of the bad habits that we have found. Whether we, we see ourselves speaking of ourselves too much, bragging about ourselves, whether we see ourselves refusing to talk to, to certain persons because we feel like we're better than they are, uh, whether it's impatience or we refuse to take correction, we're hypersensitive. Whenever anybody points out something wrong we've done, we, we flare up in anger. Um, or when we're upset, when we don't get our way. Whatever it is that, that is a manifestation of our pride, we must find a way to get rid of it. My dear faithful, on, on this Sunday, where we have this beautiful parable, let us especially turn to that most humble virgin, Our Lady. We know that when she was praised by her cousin Elizabeth, she immediately turned that praise 
into a praise of God. She deflected the praise from herself in order to praise God. And one of the things that she praised God for, which is interesting because it appears later on Lord's teaching, is that he has put down the mighty from their thrones and he has exalted the humble. This the same sort of thing that our Lord will repeat over and over again in his own teaching. So if you strive to be humble in this life, one day you will be exalted up to heaven to be with our Lord and our Lady forever. And isn't that such a wonderful thing for us to strive for? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.